0: Mortgages can be a dry subject, so here's your Oasis in the Desert. It's the podcast that will get you talking and thinking, or more likely, drinking. The Lennon to his McCartney, the Bert to his Ernie. It's the one and only Mortgage Stew and his sidekick Martin at the LM Experience.
1: Right, well, good morning. Welcome to the LM Experience. Uh, we're flying solo today. We haven't got Stu with us. Don't worry, he's not died. He's uh, he's simply self-isolating. So it's all down to me. I think this is. He sent me a message. This is episode fifty-nine, and we've got Max Dickens as our guest. Good morning, Max. Good morning. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. So I've I've written, and you are a mate, by the way. Just let get okay. that clear. We've we have, <laughs> we have got history, good history. history yeah. So listen, I wrote, I wrote down a, a list of your talents, and you are you're an actor, an author. A playwright, a presenter, a comedian, and an improviser. I mean, make your mind up, son.
0: What are you? <laughs> <laughs> a jack of all trades, master of none. If you could, if you could describe it in one, what
1: what is your preference out of all that? Have you got one?
0: I would say I'm a a writer first and foremost. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just love uh, I love jokes. <laughs> I love uh, entertaining. Yeah, and yeah. exploring ideas, telling stories. I know it sounds you sound like a complete tosser when you talk like that. but, <laughs> yeah. but Man yeah. after my own heart. Yeah. But that's what, that's what I do. Really.
1: So, look, we'll we'll get on to that, because one of the reasons... I've been meaning to get you on for quite a while, uh, Max, just because of, you know, of what we've done in the past, yep. I think it's worth talking about. And also, you've got a book coming out, I think, uh, yeah, in the middle of next year, which I think yeah. is a really interesting topic. So we'll get on to that in the end. Uh, but just give us a little sort of a potted history about, about you. How did you get into what, effectively, is the entertainment industry? Is that a bit of a broad,
0: descriptive yeah. comment? Um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, the entertainment industry, the media. Um, so I was... Uh, I never was going to do it. I was always the guy at school who hated being in front of anyone. You know, really? You're quite it. shy? A bit shy, a bit introverted. Um, and just, it wasn't for me. Like Whoever did drama was just like a completely <laughs> different breed. I was like, it, yeah. I was nothing like that. It was, I was like not a chess club kind of stuff, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I went to uni and decided to, it was student radio uh, that really gave me the start. So I did, um, is that... Is that that's
1: the tax tax, man. (laughs) (laughs) We'll edit that out, don't
0: worry. Um, Yeah, so uh, student radio was the big thing. Um, I did shows on there and I got spotted by Absolute Radio out of doing that. So they had this... Awards every year, and people in the biz judge it. So yeah. they have my demo, and they got me in. So I started working on Absolute Radio when I was still at Leeds University. I'd go down at the weekends, really, Do shows all week. You must have been like the coolest student in Leeds. Oh my god, it, m- my life has just declined. <laughs> yes, oh, sorry, that, that was the peak of your career. I mean, now we're, we're talking oh, about the so, end of it. It was. So, I'm not. I'm not even going to pretend it wasn't cool. <laughs> I felt like an absolute legend, and I had <laughs> way more money than any Absolutely. other student. Had this glamorous girlfriend. or I had nothing to spend my money on, so we're going on holiday all the time. And you just think you're going to be uh, well, world famous, <laughs> <laughs> and here you are on the Animal Experience I <laughs>
1: podcast. I do apologise for an awful bookend to a wonderful career. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, what I mean, was that a career you could have taken on? I mean, radio presenting, yeah. because that, I mean that in itself is a very. I mean, this podcast can be hard. You I think mean, you talk for eighteen minutes with people, and it, sometimes it's easier when Stu's here, but he's not yeah. here today. You know, to sit for two hours on a mm-hmm. radio show maybe on your own yeah i mean that's not easy i mean how scripted would that be
0: um a lot of it would would be scripted and it depends on the nature of the show so the reason why i got out of radio was well what i the radio i fell in love with was um sort of late night talk radio full of nutters ringing in and these sort of like, you know, yeah. guys like James Whale or I think you've had Ian Lee on the yep, podcast, absolutely. people like that, like big personalities and it was great fun, it felt really intimate. And you get your regular people ringing yeah. in. Yeah. didn't Peter Cook used to do that? He used oh, to ring in late at night, Peter didn't he? Cook used to ring in LBC and pretend yeah. to be a Norwegian That's fisherman. Right. <laughs> you, get, you never rang you, you might not have been around. No, I think actually. he'd passed away by that point but uh, no, Peter Cook obviously a, a genius. But anyway, radio these days has changed a lot so when I got into the industry it was the worst time where big brands like Global and Bauer essentially bought all the radio stations and sacked everyone. <laughs> Consolidated them. Yeah. 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 So w- when I started, you know, there was uh, started off on a station in Leeds called Galaxy, which has now been bought and turned into a capital. And the show is then broadcast right. from London, although they changed the ads and the jingles. So you think North, you're to... North, North, Norfolk Digital is what I'm Yeah, thinking. <laughs> Very uh, Alan Partridge. Yes. Alan uh, Partridge was a great kind of parody of what happened. Yeah. So there's a lot less jobs and things got a lot less creative. And I. I'm not I don't really know anything about music, which sounds terrible for a radio presenter to admit, <laughs> but it was a good start. It was a good way to get in, but really it kind of gave you the confidence to go and do other stuff. Yeah,
1: and I'm guessing it probably raised your profile. And like yeah. you say, it gave you confidence. If you're a little bit introvert, suddenly maybe that breaks that spell. Yeah.
0: And I think like in any industry, whatever you are, you need something to give you the self belief that you can actually do it. So becoming a professional at that young age, it was people who knew what they're talking about saying, we reckon you've got some ability. So the idea suddenly stops being so ludicrous and you start going, well, actually, maybe I can do this and I can try some other stuff. So that was the the biggest thing. And from that, I got into stand-up comedy and I think stand-up comedy pretty much taught me everything I know about failure <laughs> and failure yeah. well yeah, yeah.
1: definitely but well, we'll get on
0: to that because actually yeah. that, that's kind of where we
1: met wasn't it yeah. so for people that don't know max uh max uh, uh works with a, a firm called hoopla a company called hoopla and mm. um, run by steve uh, and they run. you've run oh, you explain it
0: better yeah than so we uh, started 15 years ago it started by steve and it's an improv comedy school and uh comedy club but we also teach sketch comedy stand-up so I started the stand-up course alongside my live performing because on early days in the week, you don't get paid very much. <laughs> Running a course on a Monday, Tuesday <laughs> evening was quite sensible. And also, it was it was great fun to kind of meet people and, and teach them about comedy. And that's where I met Martin. And, um, I apologise in advance <laughs> yeah, for that. But that's, that was the, maybe the start of uh, <laughs> the, what became the, the LME experience. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but um, stand-up is so exposing in so many ways, Mm. not just because you can fail and you are basically public speaking while having to be funny every 25 seconds. To a paying audience, potentially. To a paying audience. But you have to learn how to do about 15 things at once. You have to learn how to talk about yourself, so that requires some self-knowledge, self-awareness. You have to have some original thoughts about the world. You have to be able to write jokes and write briefly with punchlines, and you have to have a control of language and make things visual. You have to be able to work a crowd and all this stuff. Absolutely, because a lot of people might be funny
1: in the office. Yeah. They might be the office clown. Yeah. That doesn't always transfer onto
0: the stage under the lights with a microphone. Not at all, because... There's two reasons for that. Firstly, when you're funny in the office, all the setups are provided by somebody else and then you're just kind of... Got lots of straight men around. Yeah, yeah, exactly, zhuzhing a punchline. You've got to create everything yourself if you're a stand-up and create its own context. Uh, and also, there's a different kind of standard that expected of an audience, obviously, because they're going in with some expectations. So if you're expecting to laugh and you're telling people you're funny by standing in the spotlight... You've kind of got to raise your game <laughs> <to> if you're. <laughs> this is the best gig you've ever done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you set yourself up for a fall there. Yeah. What was your inspiration
1: from it from a comedic point of view? Yeah. Then? How, what, what What was you know? Who made you laugh? I and mean, or yeah. did you try
0: and find an original voice? Because that's probably quite important. I would have thought finding your voice is 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 kind of a cliche, but it's massive. So listeners who don't understand what finding your voice is, it's when you. When you perform or you write or you say anything in any art form, but especially stand up, does it sound uniquely like you or, or a kind of a, a pastiche of other people? And all stand ups start off being pastiches of comedians they love. So I was basically a Ricky Gervais ripper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've grown out of that now. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't. <laughs> yeah. um, I love Jack D as well. My dad always used to have Jack D cassettes in his car. And I it's just. Dry, dour yeah. approach, isn't it? Yeah. And Peter Kay was yeah. just popping when i was thinking about doing comedy and he so he was a bit of a hero um yeah and then you sort of ape them and then you start finding what you want to talk about yourself i think oddly with stand-up you've got to stop needing to be funny to get good because that's a really important point yeah i was so desperate to get laughs the easiest way to do it is to be a kind of a parody of somebody else it was my material but with their voice but you're almost needy and so actually you get miles away from who you are and what you want to talk about. Go down and, a rabbit hole. Yeah. So mm. I would do clubs and you'd watch me and go, God, that guy's a that was really that guy's a real pro. Twenty five minutes, really funny, a lot of crowd work. But then I come off and go, You don't realise this as an audience, but there are some much better comedians than me. Really? That's because not only are they as funny as that, but they are entirely themselves. So from then it's just been a kind of a terrible word journey to kind of get yeah. to that voice. And do you still do it now? Are you still are you still doing the stand up now? You still I haven't done stand up for a while because I got into doing all sorts of other things like writing books and theatre and things. Uh, but I am gonna the next thing I want to do is live because having just finished another book, it's like the feedback loop is so long. <laughs> you, <laughs> you hope, basically you hope then, to live to see the reviews. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You sort of spend two years working on a book, and then no one tells you if it's any good really until it comes out. And then even readers, if they they don't read it for months after it comes out, and so what are you like with criticism? I mean, do you take that personally?
1: I mean, that must be quite hard. I I mean- fucking day. <laughs> <laughs> I've not read it. We'll get, we'll get on to the book in a minute. But what I'm saying is that, you know, that is, it's brutal in terms yeah. of, uh, uh, on, on, on the on the circuit, on the comedy circuit, whether it's improvisation, which mm. is, again, where we met, and, and Stephen Hoopla, and just, we, we didn't finish that off, we'll finish off quickly now. Yeah. What, what can Hoopla do for people? Because obviously this podcast is about property, it's about people, but it's also about business. And I think, yeah. actually, my business uh, in, increased exponentially after attending these courses. Brilliant. Most people will go, oh, read a self-help book, mm. you know. Go, you know, walk over some hot coals yeah. and a an way day in, in Bogda, Regis. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I did the courses with you and Steve, and actually that that just set me up completely differently Brilliant. in terms of confidence. So, what what do you do as Hoopla
0: for for, for businesses? Well, so. A broader answer to that question really quickly is I think it's easy to change how you think by changing what you do. So by doing a course, you change yourself by doing something rather than trying to, like you say, read yourself self book and thinking about how you can think yourself into confidence or creativity or whatever it is. But more specifically, improvisation, which is what we do a lot of, I define it as the art of acting without a script. Right, And we often have to do that on stage for entertainment, as we do in our comedy club. But most of life, most of business is acting without a script. Whether you're building a relationship with a new person, most business, especially in the knowledge economy, is building relationships, conversations, unscripted, solving problems you've not seen before, creating solutions, collaborating with others. We have to act without a plan or with a half-formed plan because that's what life is like. It's fast-moving, a lot of change. So improv gives you some mindsets, some practice, but also some some pretty simple tools to deal with those situations with more elegance, more confidence, more poise uh, and effectiveness, obviously. And so what we do is we go into businesses and we we, we share these principles in in interactive workshops. So a lot of people want to get their team collaborating better. They want to be more creative. They want to present ideas and pitch ideas, sell, story, sell, sell uh, stories around what they do, but in a way that's dynamic and reflects how a lot of persuasion happens, which is in situations mm. like this. Like, we've not planned what we're no. doing here. And it's not a Never have. In 60 episodes. <laughs> no point starting now. But kind of think the big idea of improv and what people take away from it is one reason people are terrified of, of life or terrified of spontaneity is I won't know what to do. But kind of improv teaches you that there's a lot of opportunities right in front of your nose Mm -hmm. if you're not trapped in your plan. And I think. It's the yes and. It's the yes and. So for listeners who don't know, if you know one thing about improv, you just need to know this. So yes and is, is about accepting and building yep. off contributions from other people or what's thrown at you from the world. So we have this idea of offers in improv. So everything's an offer. So um, Martin's tone of voice is an offer. His body language, arms crossed, sullen looking Sorry. out, <laughs> is an offer. His question is an offer. And it's about noticing that and trying to think, how can I use this? What can I build off here? Where's the opportunity? And that's quite an inspire, quite simple, but mm. quite an inspiring idea. And actually, people you love working with, people who are creative, people who make interesting stuff happen, have this sort of yes and mindset.
1: Absolutely. And it helps scale up your thinking. That's mm. what I got from it. You mm. don't have to think small. Actually, yeah. if you take off that, you know, that, that lead hat that we've got that stops us being creative yeah. and thinking big, uh, I think it makes anything possible. Yeah, and entertaining along the way.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting that because because I know you guys are in financial services, yeah, archetypically quite a staid, conservative, boring, boring, Say backwards industry. Yeah, Correct. and I think what you guys do, and I've not been, I've not been. It's not like volleyball. Martin spiked this ball up. I'm going <laughs> to smash it down for for LME. Yeah. But you know, you guys have thought very differently about it, and yeah. it has been quite a improvisational yes and approach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it works. I think think it does work. And you're right. I mean, that's a very descriptive way of the industry. It is very dour, very straight-laced. It's very regulated. Okay, mm. So if you imagine you had a, a governing body in, in comedy and yeah. you had to get every dro- joke approved by them, <laughs> yeah. it would take a lot of the fun out of the process. We've yeah. got that. So it's a bit hard to navigate between yeah. the lines. But So I think I think anyone that wants to grow their business, uh, don't do an MBA. Get hold of you and Steve at Hoopla and have a chat. I think that would be really, really positive. So let's talk about the book because, uh, again, I just read something on LinkedIn. You've got a book coming out, and I think yeah. it is actually very of its moment. So do mm. you want to just talk through the book, uh, Max?
0: Yeah, so... Um I'll start, I'll talk about the book, but I'll give you the reason why I wrote it. Um, so, a couple of years ago now, I was thinking of getting engaged to my girlfriend, and somebody said to, I told them this, and somebody said, oh, well, who's your best man going to be? As you know, as you do, just having a yeah. chat, and I sort of fobbed them off, because I couldn't think of anyone, and I just thought, oh, you know, i have just, somebody really obviously I just can't think of in the moment, so I go back home, and I get a bit of paper and a pen, and I write a list of all my male friends. yeah, And I look at the list and go, well, most of these people are people I work with. <laughs> yes. um, the rest of them are people I have, some of them I haven't seen for oh, years. I was on it. And, so sure yeah. it
1: was.
0: <laughs> and looking at that and going, what what, the, what the fuck's happened? Yeah. Where have all my friends gone? Yeah. I haven't got any friends. And, so, and how old are you, Max? So I'm just sake. turned 34. Right, okay. And so interestingly, so, so the book is called Billy No Mates and it's about why... A lot of men have no friends, and what what they can do about it, and why that might happen. So, men, in in a nutshell, men face two challenges, and it's pretty broad. This there's a lot of data on this, a lot of research. It's not just me extrapolating from one personal experience. Men tend to have a lot of mates, football mates, work mates, um, Is whatever. It quite compartmentalised, do you think? Quite compartmentalised, but like the word mates there, but they have a lot of mates and many friends. They they lack, they don't. Men have a lot less intimate or close friends than women right and that's been born out again and again and also the second thing that they suffer from is what sociology wonks call network shrinkage so as men get older their social network shrinks Mm. and women stays the same so what what's going on right so it must be something unique to men or unique to how men behave that makes that happen so my book looks at that and there's kind of two main theories one is is you know what has been described as toxic inverted commas masculinity i don't like that phrase but you know this idea that there are certain aspects of masculinity that make men less likely to prioritize or be able to have good relationships especially with other men
1: you think there's pride in that is that part
0: of it there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of, I think, in male relationships, you don't want to be the one doing the organising, the chasing, the one kind of needing it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You want to be in demand. Yeah, not demanding. And, and men are a lot of men are, and I'm, I'm absolutely guilty of this. Um, I'm terribly antisocial. I'd never reply to messages. Never available. Always had an excuse. A real hard person to be a friend with. Yeah. Pain in the ass. <laughs> but at the same time, when people were like that to me, I was like, well, I'm not chasing you. Mm. It's it a standoff, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's like, so, so here's, here's one piece of information that I found in the research. They, there's this thing called self-construals, right, which is quite a boring social science term for, they get people to describe themselves, and so it's about how do people describe themselves, what sort of adjectives do you use, right? And they found that men generally have an independent self-control. So they describe themselves in ways that relate to what they achieve and what they do, not to who they know or who they relate to. So friends, family, do not they don't put them very high up in their description. Women, much more interdependent. So they'll go, hey, I'm uh, Susie, and I'm i a uh, wife of Jeremy, I'm, I'm mother of so-and-so and a sister, and they'll say that first and then all their other stuff. So it's, there's, there's a couple of things going on. Men don't really define themselves in terms of how they relate to others, and they maybe have some limits in how they build relationships. Um, And also there's the stuff around intimacy, which is quite well-traveled. So I tell these stories, but with a lot of jokes, because I know this can feel quite heavy and a bit Hmm. like, oh, Jesus Christ. Another book about men and mental health, which no one wants to read, right? It's meant to be fun. (laughs) But then there's also some interesting stuff around evolutionary biology and... And men and women are not the same. Their social world is very different. So this is the simplest way of putting it. Women's relationships tend to be face-to-face based around talk and a lot of emotional disclosure. Men's relationships tend to be shoulder-to-shoulder based around sharing space and activities, right? And that is their kind of way of being close. So this is what happens when you get a bit older, right? And there's a real hinge point in your late 20s is when your career starts taking off, when you get a family and all that stuff... There's a lot less time and men's friendships are more expensive in terms of time because they're about activities and space, right? Where women can pick up the phone and have a conversation. They can have a coffee. Yeah. So the kind of the point of the book is men are different to women. We can learn from women as well. But given both those things, how can you be more intentional in how you run your social life so that you can have decent friendships?
1: It's fascinating because I think a lot of the, the pandemic might have uh, exposed... Um, uh, the lack of uh, friendships that maybe men have. Absolutely. Suddenly, that was like, hang on, wait a minute. You know, I'm ringing the Samaritans for a chat because I've got no one else to ring. You know, yeah. that's that's kind of like. That yeah. I think I remember reading an article early on in the pandemic. A bloke said that I haven't got anyone to speak to. Mm. I've got no one. It was all it was all work. Yeah. Or football, and none of that was happening a year and a half ago. So I think it's probably of its time now. So when's that out, uh, Max? That's out uh, on July the 3rd. Right. Brilliant. Yeah. So listen, I can't believe how quickly that's gone. You said that at the start, what's good content? I think good content is suddenly getting to the end <laughs> quicker than you realize. So thanks for your time,
0: uh, uh, Max. That was really useful. How, how do people follow you on social media? Where can we find you? So um we've mentioned Hoopla so that you can find that at hooplaimpro.com. You can do courses there like Martin's done. We do a lot of corporate work. My name's Max Dickens. D-I-C-K-I-N-S, not like Charles, (laughs) I get that wrong all the time. (laughs) Uh, so somebody called Max Dickens is getting a lot of abuse on yeah. Twitter, I think. Yeah, and a lot of uh, book reviews. A lot of... <laughs> yeah, he's got some terrible reviews on Amazon. <laughs> uh, but the improv book is called Improvise. Use the secrets of improv to achieve extraordinary results at work. That's on Audible, Amazon bookshops. My new one, Billy No-Mate's um, Funny Memoir About Male Friendship, is out July the 3rd. Brilliant. Uh, Max, we always end with a would
1: you rather question. Would you who, in, in the biography, the biography of your life in the film... Who's
0: going to play you, Danny DeVito or Danny Dyer? Um, and why? D- well, I would say Danny DeVito because we're about the same height. <laughs> yes. And Danny uh, oh, and Dyer. I prefer Danny Dyer. You're too I, posh I, I You're too Danny posh. Dyer. I'm too, posh, again, too posh, yeah. And Danny DeVito uh, will, we'll, yeah, it's my stature, so I'll
1: go for DeVito. Good answer. Listen, Max, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Good luck with the book be out next year we'll get a push when we see it on social media uh, that was the end of episode 59 of the LM experience flying solo without mortgage due but uh hopefully it won't be too long before he's back in the studio if you want to get hold of us we are at the LM experience uh, if you want to be a guest you're more than welcome to drop us a message and uh, we will uh, will fit you in uh, until then max thanks for your time thanks so much man
0: Thanks for listening and please subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And remember, there ain't no party like a highly regulated mortgage party and your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or any other debt secured on it.